I'm your host, Paul Wicker, and this is The PPC Show, brought to you by AdStage. In this episode, we met Peter Green. He leads paid and email over at AMN Healthcare, and he's an in-house guy. He's been in-house his whole career, and a lot of our conversation was about managing that relationship between your in-house marketing team and an agency. So a lot of really good tips on how to make sure you're communicating effectively and getting good results out of your agency. We record the PPC show most Tuesdays at 10 a.m. out of our AdSage headquarters, and you can pick up these podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud, and you should definitely go sign up for our blog. Just go over to blog.adstage.io, and you'll get all the news in marketing and ad technology. All right, enjoy the show. Great. So first off, thanks for coming on today and talking uh, PPC and agency stuff. Absolutely. Very happy to be here. And I know you spoke at Hero Conference recently. Is that correct? I did. I was uh, part of a panel discussion on the uh, uh, differences between agency and in-house uh, uh, marketing team management and pros and cons. And it was a pretty spirited discussion. Nice. So we'll get into some of those uh, very topics today. And I always wonder what what was the speaking experience like for you? Are you a person who gets nervous before or do you just, you don't care? You go up all calm and cool? Uh, in all in all honesty, public speaking appeals to my inner ham and I just absolutely love it. <laughs> nice. Why is that? Do you have like a, a theater background or something? Uh, no, I, I just have always enjoyed it and found it uh, pretty easy to do for the most part. And especially if I'm talking about a topic that I actually know something about it is even easier. That's always the trick, right? If you know your material, there's no stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you do you get a lot of opportunities to do public speaking at um, I want it's AMN Healthcare. You know, I'm getting uh, um, a little bit more frequently. I had the opportunity to speak at Dreamforce on behalf of Pardot uh, this past year, and I also took part in an online uh, trade conference for Pardot as well. Um, it's something that I I don't get to do enough, but look forward to doing more of. Nice. And usually you're talking on, on the marketing side or on the agency side. Uh, what's the topic? Usually on, on the marketing side, like at, uh, at Dreamforce, we're a, a Pardot user. We use Pardot to drive all of our marketing automation, a lot of grading and scoring, internal notifications for our recruitment team. So just sort of uh, business use cases there. And then at, at Hero Conference, like uh, full disclosure, I'm a uh, AMN is a Hannapin customer, so I have some relationship with an agency on Hannapin, and then a lot of our efforts here at AMN are all in-house. So it was sort of uh, bridging the two worlds. And at, also in full disclosure, Hannapin is customer of AdStage, but also JD Prater, who I believe you might know from his time at Hannapin, has joined AdStage, and he's actually on our team now, doing demand gen and kind of leading our demand gen efforts our own demand gen in-house. Yep. Uh, the, uh, it's, uh, the world is a small place, and when you get into digital marketing, it becomes smaller, and when you get into paid search, it is smaller still. Right. It's all the same folks. Just We recycle each <laughs> other in and out. But, uh, well, that's a very morbid way of saying it. I don't know. We're all friends. How about that? We're all friends. That's right. Um, so how did you end up getting into paid so my professional background, like I actually started out in e-commerce as a customer service manager for a computer hardware company, Geeks.com, back in 2000. And I started off as a file clerk and they offered me a job as customer service manager. At the time, I was working as a bicycle tour guide during the summer months. And I figured this was as good a entry any uh, as any into the e-commerce digital world. So 
I worked as a customer service manager for about two years and great company, great guys who I worked for, but customer service is a tough spot to be in. And I uh, decided to put in my notice and move on and to keep me in the company, they offered me a position in the marketing department. And so from there, I moved into, you know, affiliate marketing, web analytics, paid search, uh, uh, data feeds for uh, comparison price shopping engines, SEO content, and a little bit of everything. So it was just sort of very hands-on approach to building a marketing team, and it was a great opportunity to learn. And before, we will talk about some of those topics, I promise. But uh, so you were, a, I saw Backroads Biking or something like that it was called, Backroads Bicycle Tours. That's, that's right. Uh, Backroads, which was, is based out of Berkeley, California. It, it does uh, cycling and adventure travel, week-long trips, both camping and, and uh, bed and breakfast type in stays. Great organization. If you're ever looking to take a week-long vacation where you don't have to plan or deal with anything, Backroads is a great way to go. And do you have any crazy stories about getting stuck in storms or, you know, having to like forage for your own food or anything? One time we were on uh, Nantucket, Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard, and it was a day we were supposed to take the ferry off of Nantucket to Martha's Vineyard. And it was too rough for the passenger ferry to run. So the van was able to go back to Hannesport down to Woods Hole and take the car ferry over to Martha's Vineyard. But the guests were stuck on Nantucket and we took them out to the Nantucket airport in the hopes of flying them over to Martha's Vineyard because the number one rule in back roads is keep the trip moving. And so we got everybody on the plane, plane took off, Martha's Vineyard is socked in. We circled for two plus hours in the air over Martha's Vineyard. We were about to turn back to Nantucket because we were running out of fuel. Finally, the clouds opened, the pilot screamed, hang on, and we dove through the clouds and landed in Martha's Vineyard. After a very trying day of travel, everyone was treated to a fantastic lobster boil. Wow, that's amazing, and a happy ending. And a happy ending. That's very nice. Um, so that's, uh, I'll have to keep it in mind when I have uh, some trips to Martha's Vineyard. That sounds very fancy, a trip to Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket. Yeah, it's, it's a good, and they do trips all over the U.S. and all over the world. So, and, and full disclosure, I, I am not remunerated in any way by Backroads. It's just a, a really good group of people, and they, and they really put on a good trip. Well, somewhere in the back of my head, it was always that, like, that sounds like the dream company to start, right? Like, spend all your time traveling and doing outdoorsy stuff, ignoring all the, like, uh, logistics that probably go into those trips. But it, it always felt like one of those dream jobs I always wanted, so I can just kind of travel for, uh, for both fun and work. Yeah, it's it's a lot of work. It's uh, a very rewarding. And like I did it for two and a half years. I think some people do it for, you know, a decade plus. It really depends on uh, your temperament and where you want to go. But like I said, it's it's a great organization. So let's talk a little bit about the, the marketing roles you've had. So you've been client side for I think your whole career. You haven't been agency side. Uh, so what that's, is it about? That's correct. What is it about the client side that you like that has prevented you from going to the dark side? You know, I I like being on the business side because you get to interact with not only the marketing messaging and the packaging of the product and and you know interacting with the customers, but you also get into the the real business side of things where you see the the financial levels levers that you can pull, the impact that your act- activities have on the accounting department, the customer service department, what happens to product flow and in the inventory of of the warehouse, and you can kind of really enjoy the the pulse of of a company being on the inside and you can see you know how that sausage is made so to speak and it, and for me I enjoy 
the um, ability to reach out to other departments, whether it's finance, whether it's accounting, customer service, and really enjoy and experience the interplay that marketing or the impact that marketing has across an organization. You know, as, as a marketing guy, I, I think, you know, uh, marketing is hopefully the solution most of the time. Sometimes it's a problem, but, you know, marketing is something that can, if done right and done with an eye towards the macro objectives of an organization can really have a positive impact, not just on the customer and sales conversion, but also the organization as a whole. And just, I want to get in the weeds a little bit because, you know, I think a lot of times we hear uh, marketers connecting with other departments to kind of better understand use cases or better understand the goals and how they could help. But do you have any examples of times you have worked with those other departments and, you know, the information they gave you changed the marketing strategy or impacted some of the paid campaigns or um, can, just some concrete examples of that? Yeah. So, uh for example, um, working uh, in, a, in a past life when I was at Genica Corporation, geeks.com, working with the accounting department to improve how we were handling uh, uh, um, accounts that had gone past due. So this is back in a time when you could still order a e-commerce product and have it shipped COD. So it was how we could streamline our COD approval process, what information we traded back to the accounting department to ensure that they were, we, we, uh, sometimes we self-insured, sometimes we use Equifax to ensure the COD amounts to make certain that we were handling that information properly, to look at the different channels where our COD customers were coming from and then the success of that COD collection to say, you know what, sometimes on the whole, the customers that we're attracting from a particular traffic source may have a higher probability of not paying their bill. So perhaps we don't pursue those or don't offer COD to people coming to the website from that particular uh, traffic source, or here's a traffic source that performs really well. So we can advance COD more often for people in that environment. Hmm. And it was really an, uh, 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 an effort between where we put our marketing message, what payment opportunities we provided to those people, and then what happened on the back end. And, you know, there's a delay between the product ships, we get the check back, the check gets deposited, it gets cleared, you know, so there's a delay and, and it's, and it's tightening up that feedback loop between back end and front end. Yeah, that's a great example. I think today, I think the Snapchat users would be the ones who won't pay their bills if it was still COD. <laughs> <laughs> probably Snapchat, maybe Yahoo Gemini, and probably Yahoo Gemini users pay their bills, but... So, yeah, I think the most the most uh, stable user would be the uh, the default Bing search user. There you go. Yeah, they definitely slightly more mature, more capable. Um, the oh, so you made me start to wonder when you're thinking about what services to kind of do in house versus uh, give to an agency. Um, what are some of the things that like you keep in house and that you give to an agency, and how do you make those decisions? Well. Um, and uh, early on in my career, we did everything in-house. And part of that was because you know, it was early on in internet marketing and a lot of the tools that were available were not fully baked or, you know, the, the, the sales pitches around things were, you know, here's a fantastic 400% increase in your ROI. And they were just so fantastical. They were not to be believed. And, and as a result, we did a lot of things in-house. We certainly paid our tuition at the School of Hard Knocks as a result of that, but learned a lot as well. And as Internet technology has progressed, things have become much more refined. Um, nuanced ap approaches to technology have, have helped 
uh, marketers such as myself become more successful. And then uh, to your question, like, what do we decide to do in-house now that I'm at AM in healthcare versus agency, which is Hannapin, our paid search, it's, it comes to do with uh, level of expertise and um, available bandwidth. So, you know, here at AM in healthcare, we run a pretty lean marketing team and being able to leverage the team over at Hannapin for our paid search efforts is is a big benefit to us. And so paid search, uh, it's it's kind of an extension. So I assume you kind of help set strategy and you have an e-commerce background. So are you involved in kind of the, I want to say the strategy, like more, more tactically, like how do we structure our product feeds and how are we going to bid on, uh, on ad groups and what? Yeah, absolutely. Like um, because of my background, you know, like more of a hands-on background from an e-commerce marketing perspective, uh, I'm able to to interact, you know, I don't want to say daily, but pretty frequently with the Hannapin team. And I'm on the phone with my AM uh, account manager, Diane Anselmo, on a weekly basis, if not more often. Uh, we here at, at AM and Healthcare support 19 different brands. So, you know, we have several account managers on the Hannapin side that manage our day-to-day <clears throat> And I can, you know, plow into AdWords and do the analysis that I need to do and provide some feedback and guidance on occasion on on where uh, I see some opportunities. And then from a, you know, a, a business standpoint, giving the Hannapin team access or information on what specialties or disciplines we need to promote for, you know, a, a seasonality shift in demand you know, those kind of things that come from the business side. So it's, it's a combination of strategic overview and, and tactical input. 19 brands, you said, um, are they competitively bidding and all appearing in search results or do you have some kind of like fancy rotation scheme? So we, um, uh, just for the folks listening, AM and healthcare is a temporary medical staffing agency. We do physicians, locum tenens physicians, allied professional and nursing professionals. So for example, in our nursing brands, we have six different nursing brands that are positioned for different uh, aspects of the market. We have two allied brands. We have two locum tenens physicians, two uh, perm physician placement. We have two executive search placement. So, you know, there's a lot of different brands that service either different regions or different demographics, and they all have uh, paid search going on simultaneously. We try and segment out keywords into different themes. So one theme might speak more to one brand, one demographic than another, but there are instances, for example, where we want to be more competitive around specific terms. We might have two or three brands uh, being competitive to the top three to six positions at the same time. Well, um, interesting. I, I at one point worked with a um, credit score company that uh, owned like six brands, all competing on the same keywords, just trying to like saturate the market with uh, with their own brands. But it sounds like you're mm. you actually have all these different markets and you're attempt or target markets uh, and attempting to mm-hmm. only target the right ones with the right brands for the most part, and then a little healthy competition, intra competition. A little healthy competition. And then there's also you discover over time that, you know, maybe brand A resonates with this particular specialty discipline more than brand B. So we put more focus in brand A. And then as we have developed the relationship with Hannapin over time, we've given them greater latitude to flex budget amongst brands within a division. So if they see that brand A in nursing is converting better then brand B, we might move budget into brand A out of brand B. And that way it's, it's really looking at performance. You know, I mean, 
you know, PPC is, is managed at the keyword level, but it's, it's looked at as an average. So we try and look at what our CPA is across the division, then at the brand level, then keyword level, and then we look at what our volume objectives are and how those are being serviced, and, and, and then we go into uh, specialty dis- discipline level. So a lot of moving parts, but um, we've been able to stitch together some, some logical ways to approach it. And we'll talk about some of those kind of strategies for making sure you have a healthy relationship with your agency. Uh, but I want to ask about some of the other digital marketing sectors like paid social or programmatic. Uh, do you also have teams for those? Uh, and do you use agencies for those as well? Sure. So we have a, uh, a small local agency who does our paid social. It's MyCom Media. And uh, um, they handle paid social across, again, we're, in, we're engaged with paid social on not the same number of brands, but still a pretty good, uh, pretty good mix of brand. I think it's like three nursing, both allied and three of the physician brands. And um, again, Ammon Healthcare, we run a, a very lean but robust marketing department. So we look for an agency partner that we can really have a deep relationship with, that we can put a lot of trust in their ability to execute based on the strategy discussions that we have. And so the, the MyCom Media team has been able to support that for us. So we can um, uh, hand over uh, uh, creative development to a certain degree to the MyCom team. And then they come back to us with campaigns and, you know, engage in a discussion and then green light certain things. And, you know, it's, it's worked out pretty well. Nice. And um, it, Hannapin will listen to this, <laughs> but I don't want to make it a commercial <laughs> for Hannapin. So if, um, not that you're trying to, but, you know, if we if there's anything critical that we want to talk about with agencies, we you don't have to specify whether it's uh, Hannapin or the, the other guys or, or whatever. But I do. I am curious mm-hmm. to know where what are some of the shortcomings of giving your paid search or paid social over to an agency? You know, um, I think your relationship management with a paid agency or, or any external vendor, whether it's, you know, a software vendor or a technology vendor, whatever it happens to be, it needs to be exactly the same as it would be with your in-house talent. And that is when something starts to go sideways or you start to see something slightly unexpected, have that conversation sooner rather than later, because that's when you can make the minor adjustments in, in the in the trajectory that can mitigate long-term pain. And that's where, you know, you can give feedback to an individual or an agency and be like, hey, I noticed this. I've seen it for, you know, two instances or a couple of weeks now. I'm beginning to be concerned. Is this a concern? Can we, you know, right the ship? And that way um, you, you get those potential landmines out of the way sooner rather than later. Um, the other important thing on dealing with an agency is that <clears throat> Everybody has to be defining terms in the same way and looking at pieces of information on the same context. So simple things like a conversion. What was that? Is that a unique conversion? Is that a conversion event that can be executed multiple times? How are you factoring that when you're looking at CPA? And those are the things where everybody needs to be anchored on the same def- definition, the same context all the time. And that cannot be in question. So those are one of the things you need to define early on in the relationship. So giving feedback early and often, having a common uh, 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 understanding of the nomenclature in the world that you're dealing with goes a long way. And then, you know, frequent communication, um, telling them what's working, what's not working, and being able to effectively communicate the pain points that occur within the business out to the agency in a manner that is not just complaining, but 
either provides direction or gives the agency latitude to pursue a solution. And when you mentioned communication, I think most people think of kind of standing monthly calls they have or maybe biweekly or weekly. Um, what do you find works best for you in terms of kind of frequency and format? So um, with uh, with both the agencies, we, you know, we get monthly reporting across all our brands. Uh, we have biweekly phone calls with MyCom. We have weekly phone calls with Diane at Hannapin. I get uh, weekly snapshot reports from the individuals on the different brands at Hannapin. We get, you know, big monthly roll-ups. Hannapin does a quarterly review. And, you know, it, that's a that's a pretty good cadence. If something comes up, I know I can pick up the call and, and reach out to Diane or, or, you know, Jake, Kelsey, Stephanie, uh, Danny on the on the team. If there's a problem, you know, they're they're usually uh, very responsive and quick out of the box to give us uh, give us a solution. Um, and I'm curious about those monthly reports. So I have a kind of a, a vested interest in knowing because we have a reporting tool. So I'm just wondering in the monthly reports that you get, um, like, A, how valuable are they really? Do you, do you actually go through them? And how full of like insights are they versus are they kind of like just your your baseline data that you're going to you want because you want a baseline, but you're probably not going to get super in-depth with it? So, you know, uh, any report, if it doesn't service two or three different ends, it's probably not a good report and one that shouldn't be maintained. So on our, our monthly reports, it's a snapshot, you know, month over month, same month, year over year. It goes into a vendor brand level of detail. And I, I use that report as kind of a, a validation point for the conversations that I've had with Han, Hannapin ongoing during the month. And again, anything that comes out in a monthly report should not be a surprise if we're behind in a brand or we're pulling ahead another brand. You, you know, I know that before the monthly report comes out or I should have a pretty good indication of what's going to happen. I repurpose that report for our internal meetings with our brand teams. We're going to say, hey, here's what's happening. And that's a very high level where, you know, if Google is up or Google is down, we can say, hey, we saw uh, erosion in brand activity or, oh, man, our, our uh, generic keyword campaigns really took off. And here's where you're seeing that in your, in your internal reports when we look at leads and applications. So that's, you know, the level of detail when it comes to, um, finding out more detail about what's going on in our campaigns, I just go into AdWords myself and use the monthly reports or the weekly reports as a jumping off point where I can just zero in. And, and uh, again, the, the communication on a weekly basis is um, robust, but quick. So like, hey, here's a concern on, you know, brand X, campaign Y, ad group 23. This is a problem for us. And I can go into that and look at a trend line and, and compare it to the other brands and, you know, either... Uh, Hannapin will have, and this is what we're doing about it, or, you know, they'll be like, hey, we're uncertain yet, but it's still early on. It's not a fully developed trend, and we'll have a communication on that point. Yeah, I think it always helps to have someone in-house that can get into the weeds if they need to. Um, not saying that Hannapin wouldn't be able to give the same service if you if you didn't work there. Like, if not mm -hmm. Hannapin, if you weren't at AMN as kind of a counterpart to be able to kind of keep them honest. <clears throat> but I noticed yeah. that people who don't have that often – it's a challenge because you just kind of are blindly trusting and you're not exactly sure how to kind of check in on things. And not that the agency is trying to mislead you, but they know like, all right, well, I'm going to put in good work and I'm going to set this thing up. But, you know, no one's going to go check my work, so to speak. So it's uh, it's hard to hold yourself to the same standard. Yeah. And it's also I've I found it to be important on, a, on the inside of the company to be able to explain how PPC works or um 
you know, some, some nuanced differences in approach that somebody who doesn't live and breathe PPC or, or paid marketing may not understand or appreciate. So being able to translate the tactical execution that Hannapin is executing on to the team be like, and this is why we're doing it, or, you know, here's what's going on. And, and, you know, like with any paid search campaign, somebody could drill in and be like, aha, this keyword has a terrible CPA and you're not doing anything about it. And you can always nitpick something apart. You're like, look, that is the performance of one keyword that historically has performed well. And you're looking at a one week's time where it had an off week, but look at a trend over time. You know, you have to have context of the data. You have to have uh, understanding of how things are being managed and, you know, being able to explain that to the team here has also made my internal brand team's jobs much easier because they have confidence in my ability to communicate their strategic objectives to the Hannapin team in terms that will be actionable for the Hannapin team. Makes sense. Uh, and then a kind of a weird question, I guess, since you're pretty happy with both your agencies right now, but a lot of folks, you know, ask if they're in-house about uh, that hunt to find an agency, you know, so what to look for in an agency. Do you still do RFPs? I feel like they're kind of dying, but every now and then um, we still see them float around. Uh, kind of what are your thoughts on how to go find an agency? You know, we uh, we haven't done an RFP since since I've been here with Hannapin. Um, I've done RFPs in the past and, and other uh, other positions. And, you know, for me, it really it comes down to whether you're doing an RFP for an agency or you're doing a competitive uh, competitive comparison between two technology vendors. You know, it, it for me, it, it really comes down to the same same stuff. You're looking at capability, cost, track record. Uh, willingness to work with you, transparency, and um, what what they are saying that they can deliver. You know, anybody can say, you know, I'll deliver the the moon and the stars to you, but that doesn't make it so. So you also have to balance, like, okay, they're 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 telling me a story. How realistic and executable is that story? And there have been instances in in the past where you know a technology vendor gives me an outlandish claim and they totally kill it. You know, so you have to balance you know, reality with potential. But to me, it's, it's um, understanding what you're asking for and then asking the right questions during the negotiation phase. And since you mentioned uh, the technology vendors too, uh, I'm curious if, do you have the quick kind of, here's my stack kind of overview of what, uh, what folks use for things like attribution or reporting or conversion tracking, uh, et cetera? Yeah. So like, um, you know, we use Google Tag Manager for our, uh, you know, all the all the pixels that we've put into place. We're pretty, um, pretty standard in our approach when it comes to things like that. Like through Hannapin, we have a Quizio. Uh, Google Analytics is our analytics package. We have experience, uh, experimented with some programmatic display in the past, but we haven't haven't been successful in a manner that we felt was appropriate to carry forward at this point. Um, and as far as attribution analysis goes, we have had the good fortune of developing an attribution model in-house that we use, which has, um, as a staffing agency, it's not like, you know, somebody comes to the website and buys a pair of shoes. We have to follow that conversion through the, you know, uh, getting an application and credentialing and then getting placed in a job and then actually going on assignment. So a lot of that attribution analysis is done within Salesforce. So we're a Salesforce company. Got you. And then does MQLs, SQLs roll back up into uh, in the reporting that Hannapin does, or do you kind of take care of the matching of conversions and uh, paid? 
Right. So there's always a little bit of drop off between, you know, like AdWords or Bing and then what you're actually reporting in your internal uh, internal systems. And, and our internal systems will dedupe for net unique. And, and there's always a little bit of um, give and take between what is on the Hannapin reports versus what we see in our internal reports. Fortunately, we've been doing it long enough that we can look at the differences and and we can go into Salesforce and see what was deduped in our internal reporting. And, and it, you know, it trues up a little bit closer. And, and then if we need to um, change our marketing mix because we feel we're getting too many repeat users, or, you know, we can, we can take those actions as well. Yeah. I always think the, the goal with metrics from like two different systems or with data from two different systems, isn't that they should match. They should just be predictable. So right. Even if they're predictably wrong. Yeah. You know, if you have a, a consistent error rate out of a tool and that error rate is consistent over time, then, you know, you can use it, use it for directional analysis and, and it'll give you, you know, a, a finger in the wind kind of approach. But as long as it's consistently wrong, you can, you can certainly work with it. Much like my golf swing. If it, it always, I always <laughs> shoot right. So if I just aim like 40 yards to the left, then I hit it right down the middle until that one time I don't, then it's terrible. There you go. Yeah. Um, so then in terms of um, the, like if you're going to take on a new initiative, so let's say like VR becomes super hot and AMN wants to try something in VR. Um, as a marketing team, if, if that was your responsibility, how would you take kind of a new idea and kind of get it into the world? You know, it, it really depends. Like, you know, we have... Again, a, a lean, dedicated marketing team supporting a lot of brands. You know, and one of the nice things about having a lot of brands is we can do some uh, creative testing in a small scale, like when with one of our smaller brands, or or roll something out and and just kind of toe in the water, sort of look and feel to it. And if it's successful, then we'll roll it out in, in a larger um, uh, a larger venue. Something like VR, like that's that is, um, I would say, well beyond our capability. Uh, to be perfectly honest. And like, if that was something we were choosing to engage with, what, just like, you know, um, a video production, you know, we would, we would definitely look to an outside partner to help us along with that. Yeah. And I did mean it in context, you know, of ads, right? So VR ads or VR experience for advertising, much like video. Um, Cause I'm just, my, my theory is there's a bunch of agencies that should probably get really good at VR right now, because in, you know, two, three years, everybody's going to expect their, you know, videos to be 360 videos with, you know, uh, VR, AR in there somewhere. So, um, yeah, it's like the, uh, um, we're, we're always chasing the, the audience's expectations and the expectations are always increasing. Very true. I mean, one day we'll be at the, uh, the famous scene from minority report. We're almost there. <laughs> so who, they, who thought it was such a trailblazing movie at the time that we still can't do the, uh, the hand gesture displays in a very believable way. Yeah. But it, you know, it's coming. Yeah. Very true. Um, and then I want to ask you a question about kind of the tracking side, since uh, you have quite a bit of experience there too. And you said, you know, you're a Salesforce company. I wonder how much time do you guys spend with agencies and internally trying to get that top, like from start to finish conversion flow all figured out. Like how long did it take you to get that locked in? Years to be perfectly honest. And it's, it's a, um, it's a process that has been in place. Like literally AMN as a team has been working on this for the better part of four years. And, you know, you, you come up with some solutions, you put them into production and maybe they're wrong 
you go back and you reconfigure them, or maybe they're right and and it uncovers some additional insight and detail that you didn't even know you needed. And so you keep going down and keep going down. And, and like right now, um, I feel we are at a, a pretty good space with how we look at our uh, uh, lead to placement attribution. And, you know, there's always areas for improvement, but, you know, we are very fortunate in uh, the team that we've assembled here and, and what we've been able to put into place where it gives us visibility on, on where to engage and where to pull back. And that's really, that's really what you want. Uh, other random questions. Um, there's a lot of news recently about kind of brand safety and uh, ensuring that, especially in programmatic, your programmatic ads don't appear on sites that your brand doesn't want them to be on. Uh, but it also applies to things like Facebook advertising or AdWords. If people want to do uh, the content network and, and you know set up some exclusions. Uh, has that been a challenge that you guys have faced? You know, it, it has like we uh, some of our display ads showed up on websites that maybe weren't exact. I mean, they weren't terrible websites, but they weren't exactly in line with what we wanted our brands to, you know, support. So it was a question of working with again, working with Hannapin and and looking at what exclusions we could have put in place and and looking for similar websites that we could exclude in advance. And you know, it's it's a process, and that's that's one of the things where people outside of the marketing world where they see, you know, your, your brand image on most hated website in the world.com. And they're like, how could you advertise in these people? And you're like, yeah, I didn't advertise with those people. I was advertising with, you know, open exchange one, two, three. And I, that just happened to be the inventory that me, that they placed me in. So, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's a moving target. There's certainly some challenges around it. I, I don't, I, I think that uh, Google and Facebook and others have gone a long way to improving uh, what they can do for the advertisers. So, you know, still work in progress. And I know you, you said you kind of dabbled in programmatic uh, and you're still kind of weighing maybe mm-hmm. how much programmatic plays. I do just want to comment. eMarketer did put their numbers out for programmatic um, at this point. So, you know, in the old days, you used to buy placements on sites. So you go, like you said, you'd go call ESPN and say, I want the front page of ESPN. How much is it for the month? Um, mm-hmm. And now everything goes through these programmatic uh, networks and uh, sometimes layers upon layers. So you don't necessarily understand where your programmatic ads are appearing. Um, and now at this point, according to eMarketer, 74% of all the digital display ad dollars are now going through uh, programmatically to both um, either kind of private marketplaces or mm-hmm. direct programmatic setups where you still can say, okay, ESPN, I want to buy your inventory, but now it's all executed programmatically instead of the old way when you had to like send creative over to ESPN and they'd <laughs> run it. Uh, so it seems like display has the tools to tackle this kind of brand safety. Cause you know, as it becomes more of an issue, it is starting to, um, there is some pressure now to say, look, we can control these things. You can control what brands mm-hmm. you do and don't appear on. So the pendulum seems to be swimming, uh, swinging a little bit uh, back towards these direct buys through programmatic than a few years ago when it seemed like you were just going to drop your display ad on, on these networks and you didn't really care where it went. You just measured how many new sales you got from it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that um, uh, a quick aside, I was uh, lucky enough to meet up with uh, Brian Gaynor, who was on the PPC, PPC show last month, and uh, he did, gave a discussion about programmatic display in the PPC Hero Conference, and I was able to talk with him at length about this topic as well. But yeah, the 
you know, the pendulum is certainly swinging where, like you said, you can go in and say, I want to target this website over this period of time and I want to buy it out. And you can do that on a programmatic network. I think for uh, companies uh, like Amen and, and others out there where we're more interested in reaching the right demographic or having a, a, a good footprint around people who uh, our message might resonate with, you know, programmatic can be a great tool for us. It's we're still trying to figure out exactly how to quantify that value in an effective way to show that, you know, this is, this is a good place for us to put some money. Um, in again, it's in the staffing world where uh, somebody comes and completes a lead or completes an application. They may or may never go on assignment or maybe they go on an assignment and it's six months after the application is completed just because that's how long it takes. You know, there, there are some additional challenges for us in that sort of attribution. So Still, still a work in progress. Yeah, and if you come from the search side, and especially direct response search, not brand search, um, where you're trying to get leads and you're optimizing based on you know kind of very deep conversion funnels, it almost seems backwards to go back to buying placements because you you know at the end of the day you don't unless it's negative to your brand because of the association, mm-hmm. you know you would think we're moving to the point where we don't really care what website it is. We just care that you fit the right demographic and psychographic of people who should be interested in the product I'm selling. And if you happen to be on Fox news or CNN or Huffington post, like, you know, whatever. Um, but now it's, I think because of the public perception that that means you're endorsing this company and that means you stand for the left or the right or the alt right or whatever. It's now become like, this weird issue and then marketers are in the middle of trying to figure out how to play both sides of it. Yeah. And you're like, like, man, all I wanted was impressions. <laughs> That's all I was looking for. Uh, yeah. It's, it's definitely, you have to be, um, you have to be cognizant of that. You know, you can't, you can't be, um, you can't be completely insulated from those concerns of our constituency, wherever that may be, whether you're, you're working for, you know, um, uh, Smith and Wesson, or you're working for Huffington Post, you know, your constituency is going to have different opinions and your marketing message should reflect that to a certain degree. And your marketing efforts should support that to a certain degree. Um, I have another random question. The segues on the PPC show are really poor. <laughs> I just ask random questions. But, That's okay. The, I'm wondering about the network mix. Cause you got me thinking about some of the other networks to Pinterest, Snapchat, Yahoo, Gemini, uh, are any of them in your guys advertising mix? Yeah, so uh, Yahoo, Gemini, Bing, um, Facebook, of course, and we are looking at other social venues like Snapchat, which you mentioned, um, Instagram, and again, we're we are trying to apply what we've learned elsewhere and do it in a manner where we can be part of the conversation and and provide value to the people who are on those social networks and still get our marketing message across in an effective way. So, you know, we don't want to be, you know, like the story of you walk into a party with a big for sale sign, you know, that's, that doesn't do anybody any good. So we're really trying to uh, uh, learn our way into the environment and, and ensure that we're, you know, to put it bluntly acting appropriately for the, for the venue. I'm going to try walking into a party with a for sale sign to see what happens. <laughs> it, it helps if you're also carrying a tambourine or a gong. I love it. <laughs> right. Just, uh, I've heard the expression before and I'm always like, I wonder if you just walked in, it was just a, one of those like standard for sale signs and uh, just walked in and 
with a phone number or something. Although now this is going down a prostitution route, which I was not intending it for it to go. So maybe we can move on from that joke. There you go. Um, so any other any other tips in terms of interacting with an agency uh, that uh, you want to give? Because I feel like afterwards I'm going to go talk to J.D. Prater and then ask, how, uh, how was uh, AMN as a client? And see if I get some good uh, juicy counterpoints to uh, bring it. You know, I'll t- I'll, uh, it, it helps me to define or lay the groundwork for um, how communication is going to take place. I'm a, a very, um, I can be very blunt when it comes to conversation, giving feedback, you know, whatever the topic happens to be. And I made certain to share that, uh, you know, set that tone with uh, Diane and, and the other folks over at Hannapin so that it'd be like, look, I expect this to be a, uh, a fully engaged two-way relationship. So I'm letting you know this is my communication style. And I'm also letting you know that if that's your communication style to come back, that's fine. And I'm not, you know, I'm not on the attack. I am, I am sharing things in a, in a brusque, quick manner because it's, you know, it's, it might be punchy data points and we're just talking facts. So get that. Um, get that foundation out early on about how you're going to communicate or if you're somebody who prefers to have a more uh, metered engagement or somebody who prefers to have uh, conversation topics sent in advance of the phone call so that you can prepare for whatever those may be, whether you're in-house or on the agency side, you know, whatever works for you, but communicate that to your partner so that they know that when you send an email that, that if read aloud might sound terse, it's actually not intended to be terse. It's just saying, here's, you know, direct information transfer, respond to this in kind. And, and that really goes a long way because that way, um, you know, Diane or any of the Hannapin team or any of the MyCon team can, can respond back to me in a similar nature. <clears throat> and it really facilitates the communication. So whatever your communication style, whatever your communication preference, get that out there. Because if you don't, the people you're talking to will not know how you prefer to be spoken to. I think that's a good uh, life lesson in addition to a good way of uh, managing an agency. It, it, it certainly helps in a lot of different venues. Uh, and Peter, if people want to learn more about you or maybe they want to come work at AMN Healthcare after, uh, after learning about all the stuff you have going on, is there any way they can keep in touch? Yeah, so um, best way just uh, connect with me on LinkedIn would be the the easiest way to go about it. Uh, Peter Green, AM and Healthcare, uh, amandhealthcare.com. Um, always have uh, uh, AM and Careers page has a lot of oppor- great opportunities to come to work for AM and Healthcare. Um, I've been here coming up on three years, and I'll, I'll be honest, uh, AM and is a outstanding company. They have a a very positive corporate culture. They have. Uh, like the the executives get in front of whoever wants to join in the auditorium on a on a quarterly basis. You can ask whatever question you want. They're very transparent on the growth objectives of the company. Uh, you know, it's really um, it's it's a company that talks the talk about corporate culture, and they really walk the walk. And it's a it's a very um, very positive place to be. And you're in sunny San Diego, which certainly doesn't hurt. And we're in sunny San Diego, which uh, when people ask what the weather is like, it's like, same as always, 70 and sunny. I had a friend who lived in San Diego. He said, it's beautiful, but the people don't know any adversity of slogging through the snow and the ice. You, you, uh, you're absolutely right. Like, I'm originally from northwest Ohio. I lived for five years in Wyoming. 
And when I first came here, I had just left 20 degree weather in Wyoming. It's 60 degrees. I'm in shorts and flip flops and everyone's wearing winter coats. And I couldn't understand what was wrong with these people. Now that I've been here 16 years, I too reach for a coat when it gets below 64 degrees because it's quote cold. <laughs> you have been converted. Yeah, my my, my uh, blood is now the consistency of high C, and I cannot withstand temperatures below 68 or above 72. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a small price to pay for, uh, for lovely weather. Indeed. Uh, Peter, we appreciate you coming on today to talk about uh, agency relationships, and folks can find you on LinkedIn if they want to learn more, and we'll keep an eye out uh, on the conference circuit. Uh, maybe we can uh, meet in person one of these days. Excellent. I really appreciate the conversation. Enjoyed it a lot. All right. Take care, Peter. Take care.